Blog Talk Radio. The Midnight Hour. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. I'm reading Matthew 25. He says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And he says, The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. Verse 4, he says, The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And then it says, the bridegroom was long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Verse 9, no, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Verse 11. Later, others also came. Sir, Sir, open for us. And then verse 12, he says, But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. And then verse 13 says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Hallelujah. Now the next topic becomes the wedding banquet. When the Lord said, wedding banquet, and those who were ready with him went in with him into the wedding banquet. So the title in capital letters, Wedding Banquet Underlined. When he says so, what did he mean? The Lord, when he mentions the wedding banquet in this parable, what he intended to project forth to the church is the great, great, great disposition of love that he has towards the church. Why? How? How is it a great, great, great disposition of love that has never been seen, that cannot be understood? How is it? Because by so doing, from his upper chambers of wisdom, and we know in those chambers, once in a while, he can just release a little wisdom like this for architecture, and new types of buildings are being built on the earth. He releases just a little bit of wisdom like this on medicine and a new drug is discovered. The upper chambers release a little bit like this. New types of aircrafts are now being built. Imagine the vastness, the infiniteness of the wealth of the treasures of the wisdom of God in the upper chambers. He's saying that if he had spoken with us in those terms, we would not have understood him. That if I had spoken to them strictly on God's terms, the way God speaks, they would not understand me. So in other words, he's saying that the great disposition of love that the word wedding banquet projects throws into the church is because 
out of the failure our narrow capacities understanding capacities out of our failure our slowness to understand him is saying that he was forced compelled to bow down the heavens and meet us at our level then by referring to royal banquet royal feast in this parable the omnipotent god wanted to demonstrate to mankind to mankind his greatest disposition of love towards the church he wanted in other words to show the world how much great love he has for the church and that love you remember i said it the bowing down of heaven on his knees in order that the church may understand what he's talking about. Otherwise, we would have never understood a thing. I think they love most. Oh, they always go to weddings, right? Let me use that to talk to them. I'll be able to reach their hearts. Number two is saying, God's infinite mind cannot be comprehended by man because of the loftiness of his wisdom. God's infinite, God's unending mind cannot be understood, cannot be comprehended by mankind because of the loftiness of his wisdom, thereby necessitating this parable. Kumbe is not even right. It's not something to take for granted. That parable is very deep. The Lord is raising from that parable the fact that, wow, God is so lofty and very high up there. If he wanted to talk to us in his normal terms, in his normal language, we would have understood nothing. So to come and talk to us in terms of parable, our lifestyle things down here, oh, that was a great love to begin with. And then, then number two, he said, he essentially brought heaven on his knees to put his knees down to reach us. Heaven bowed down. Ah! And this point I'm going to repeat severally because I don't want to lose it until he comes. Amen. That heaven really bowed. Even in Kisumu when the cloud came down into this church, it amounts to bowing the heavens on their knees like this, tilting it like this down to leave this lofty place to meet you in your level. Huh? That is love. Hallelujah. And to emphasize this point that we cannot understand him, because of the loftiness of his wisdom, except that he reaches us through these ways. Let us read Isaiah 55. Under that is Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. Hallelujah. 8 to 9. Look at what he says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Did you understand that now? So you don't take things for granted. You begin to appreciate God through this parable. You say, wow, he did that for me. He had to come all the way down here to use our earthly things like wedding, banquet, because he saw that we love it. In order to begin now to dispense to us deeper truths about the salvation of the cross, number two, about the glorious kingdom. You see that? How much love that he can do that, Germany. Right? This is what I want to bring to you, that you may never take God for granted. It always begins with the fear of God. Reverence unto God. 
Once you catch that, once you catch it, that reverence unto God, the fear of God. So you don't take the Bible for granted. It's not a novel. Now you have understood it's not. It is deep. Now you begin to understand, wow, this parable, we're reading it so much. Kumbeta so much like this. It speaks so much. It also speaks about, wow, the heavens are His. So we'd rather just align or conform right now here than to say we are going to heaven and if you look at them, there's no conformity. The trousers, remember? Trousers, what, careless living. Then they, well, oh, they're saying, that heaven, you might find me there when you arrive. And if you look at her, how she's dressed, and then you are like, Oi, I think there is need for information. Information is power, and then they can transform. But we cannot take it for granted that we have this. It's just through his election. He elected us to do this, right? Hallelujah. So he's saying that even the manner in which he can annul, he can bring to nullity his wisdom, cancel it, and then come to talk to us in terms of this level here, our level, our, our conditions, our terms here, when he said wedding banquet. When actually this is not even a wedding banquet. But it's not. And these are not brides. These are bridesmaids. You see that? So this is not even a wedding. You see that? But to be able to come down to us and speak to us in our terms, first of all, you must just stop there, kneel down, and just honor God. You say, I thank you. I say, thank you very much. In fact, now I'm understanding that if you didn't do that thing, eh? if you didn't come down like that, me, I would be finished. I don't know about others. Maybe they're geniuses in heaven. But for me, I know that I would have not made it. I just want to thank you that you decided to just nullify your wisdom and your levels and just try to reach me. Yes, sir. When you reach there, you first stop. You say, wow, me, I'm shocked at this act. Because God can decide to be God if he wants. <laughs> and then everything else changes, right? New game, right? Hallelujah. Another point. By mentioning wedding feast, royal banquet, this parable essentially demonstrates to us that God Almighty presented to us one of the key fundamentals of God, humility. He really showed us that He is humble. Wow. Huh? To agree to nullify, annul the heavenly wisdom. Hmm? If you notice that, then you begin to appreciate God. Because you see that he essentially presented his humility to us. That is how humble I am. I'm able just to forget about everything and try to reach you. And like I said, great love for the church to do that, right? But let's move on, right? The other point he says, the Lord also uses the word royal banquet to show us just how low we caused him to come down to the extent that it became an abuse unto his wisdom. That's the condescendence I was talking about. Condescending. He just wanted to show us that look how low you caused me to come. In other words, how much abuse my wisdom was caused to suffer. To use wedding, this is carnal weddings of theirs. To now start to talk about the matters of the kingdom. You understand? To use their carnal weddings. You understand? To start talking about the kingdom of God. 
He just wanted to, to show you the cost he incurred. How much condescendence, how much abuse and blackmail his wisdom had to suffer for him to come that law for you. To come and meet you there. That is now where the gospel is. That one, that's where it is. That's now God coming down to man. So, so now, even, even the pastoral, you see the level of loftiness and you see how much you are not able to bow down your wisdom. But, how much more the Lord huh? did you understand? That he can come all the way and suffer abuse in his eternal wisdom. And now to use some funny human wisdom down here, what they like most, to reach them on this. That cost must be highlighted. Hallelujah. He just wanted to show us how much abuse his eternal wisdom suffered in order to instruct mankind in their narrow capacities, meaning in their narrow understanding capacities. You understand? <laughs> On matters of the kingdom. Narrow understanding capacities. Now, that, that is so humbling, right? Because sometimes you look at the way professors walk. Eh? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, and then you say, hey, this man is so high. <laughs> or bankers, whoever. I'm just using professors as an example. Then you see people are so high. And then you say, this man is so high, so educated, I cannot share with him the gospel. He has no time. But the question then becomes this. Now when you read what I'm talking about here, I, who is wiser? Tell me that. Then you hear that he had to come down in our terms to bridge for the deficit of our understanding capacities. Huh? He said, our narrow understanding capacities. He could not speak in terms of heavenly stuff. He was forced to speak in terms of earthly things for us to be able to understand, comprehend the truths of the cross and the salvation thereon, and then the matters of the kingdom, the deeper truths of the kingdom. Then you're like, eh, let us just humble. God actually is higher wisdom, right? So even if you are now top banker, top professor, top engineer, top pastor, I don't know, top something, right? Lawyer, top generals of the army, eh? whatever you are, top members of parliament, whatever you are, Kumbe, we are much, much lower than God. Yes. Who is doing who a favor? That is the truth I wanted to bring to the church. That from today on, that thing has been now resolved. Now it has been resolved. Let us now just hear God. Uh, yeah. Because if you find teachers, teachers say no. Teachers say we are the ones. All those pilots are the ones who teach. All doctors, we mold them. We, we can destroy or build. We mold them in our hands. So whatever that ranking is or your cadres are, just know one thing. That for God to reach us, actually it was our privilege even to know that he can do that. He suffered abusing his wisdom to reach us. Why? Because he wanted to bridge for the lack of understanding capacity. Oh, I wanted to bring that to you. You must understand that. Otherwise, this parable becomes a song. No. There is so much about God that comes through from there, right? Speaking to the church. Can I take it a little stretch further? Now, look at this now. Many times you go into a conference, seminar, departmental or otherwise, 
if you came and you found the, the, the signaling people talking about their stuff, how the pathways go this way, we worked on this one, deleted this gene, then we cloned it where, whatever. There is a conversation there. Okay. Now if you go to the HIV people, right? You go to their seminars. And you hear them talk about now this type of virus has mutated. We realize now it is using this as a docking site, whatever. You hear them. You go to the professors of law. You say, ah, we found out that there is need to reform the system. If the, the legal judicial system, the, the one that works is now this model. They're doing those things, professors of, of law. Professors of now computer design and software, whatever, engineering, right? They took their things, right? Deep things. A professor of philosophy giving a talk in a symposium on deep issues of human behavior, you know? <laughs> you understand? They go very deep, the professors of surgery here, right? How we use laser, we don't non-insensive, whatever, we now just direct this there, whatever. They give those talks. And then you're like, wow, this person, eh, you are shocked by these things, right? We are stunned when a very highly learned person can continue to give deep truths in his field and then come down, look, look, look now, come down at home in his house when you find him with a baby in his hand like this giving porridge. Baby, baby doing like that. We are stunned at that, right? Only this woman can do that. But she's a professor. When this man can do that, but he's a professor or he's an engineer or whatever, you know. So we are always stunned. So instead of professor of philosophy, psychology, or law, or whatever, use that example. A minister, okay, let's say a minister of government, right? And for, if they hear, they'll write in the papers. Do you know that this minister, when he reaches home, he still carries the baby, he gives milk, he washes the baby? So those are things that stun us. Hallelujah. Amen. We must be stunned at the Lord. You find them talking. And then how much more should we be puzzled that the Lord in his very high wisdom came to meet us and talk about the wedding banquet? This stunning parable mentions wedding banquet in order to bring to us the state with which we should be awed at God on how he could afford to lower the heavens, the higher heavens, together with the upper chambers of the infinite wisdom of God, right? And bow such loftiness of heaven. Huh? And bow down such loftiness of heaven in order to come down <laughs> and bow down such loftiness, such great loftiness of heaven in order to come down to meet us and instruct us and make us wise unto salvation. Ah! <laughs> and make us wise unto salvation. How he could afford the higher and bow them down to meet us in our terms in order to make us wise unto salvation. To make us understand salvation, right? Can we move on now? By presenting this parable to the church and mentioning wedding banquet, God most high obviously intended to show us the amount of abuse that he had to suffer in order to come and meet our ignorance. 
and our slowness to understand. By presenting this abuse unto his wisdom. By presenting to us this abuse unto his wisdom. That abuse comes out by mentioning wedding banquet. By presenting to us this abuse unto his wisdom. God Almighty wanted to emphasize to us that he can go to any length in order to make us wise unto, number one, the glorious salvation of the cross. Number two, the glorious kingdom of God. I can go to any length in order to make you wise, to bring to you understanding on the glorious salvation of the cross. Number one, number two, the glorious kingdom of God. Are we together? Can I move on now because of time? By presenting the words wedding banquet, this parable therefore is designed to demonstrate to us God's unsearchable love for the church. Unsearchable love. The love you cannot understand for the church. Hallelujah. So we have gone, look, look everybody, we have gone through the abuses, wisdom suffers to bring it to us, and we have gone through the show of love. Unsearchable love that he can even do that. Right? So these are the deeper insights into the gospel that some people jump when they read this parable like a storybook. So, now we have seen how he does all these things to use banquet. Wedding banquet. Royal banquet. Royal feast. We have seen how he does all these things. He goes through the abuse, the suffering. His wisdom has to suffer. He has to nullify the nullity. He has to nullify his wisdom and understanding capacity to come and meet our narrow minds, narrow understanding capacities, our childishness, our slowness to understand, our miscomprehension of the things of God. So, we have seen that suffering that he goes through in order to bring that to us. And also in the process, we've seen the great disposition of love that involves. Meaning, wow, he really loves the church that it can go to any length if that will mean bringing to us wisdom, making us wise unto salvation of the cross and the kingdom of God, right? Now let us go to the real matter. So when he went and took the wedding feast in terms of the Jewish life, Wedding banquet. When he talked about the wedding banquet, what did he then mean? What did he intend now? We have seen the cost. What did he intend? Now look at this. The Lord from heaven, he watched down and he looked at the Jewish life. You see that? And he saw them, they had sowing season, they had wheat season, they had this feast of what, they had all things, right? But he found out that there was one thing that was very characteristic of their lives. Which means when you see there's one thing that keeps repeating more. Eh? More than the other. And he found out that wedding. Were a very common practice in Jewish life. Number one. So number two. In other words you're looking at a child. And you see what the child likes doing more. More times. Okay. So weddings were very common in Jewish life. Number one. Number two. He found out. That. Weddings, during weddings, and those, time, those days, the weddings took even seven days, right? The wedding feast, banquet. He found out that the wedding feasts 
when they took place, this is what happened. People came even from far with their mats for sleeping and stool. They carried clothes. Tomorrow I wear this clothes in this first ceremony. Second ceremony I wear this clothes. Next day I wear this clothes. So you saw that when they went to weddings, it took long. Up to even seven days celebrating the wedding feast, the wedding banquet. And number three, when they were there, he saw that they were the happiest. If you were to plot a graph, and up here in the graph, you put level of happiness. Whatever quantum you use to gauge happiness, right? Whatever meter. And down here, you put the progression in Jewish life, right? Then you see the following. You see several peaks. At one point, there's a peak here. At one point, there's another peak here. At one point, there's another peak here. Where happiness peaks and comes up. Peaks. Then, then you find smart people who tell you, find out what are the events happening during these times. And just focus on these events. Because they seem to like these events. Even marketing people say that, right? When they see there is peak, that at this time, Kenyans seem to be watching more TV. Again, when you come to the, again, the peak, they are watching more. So if you want to advertise for your bank or your job or your uh, engineering, architectural company, whichever, just find out what is it that happens here and then put your commercial here. But I'm saying, in like manner, the Lord looked, if you plot now, level of happiness to progression, time of Jewish life, whatever, then you saw that there were low levels, and at one point there's a peak. Low again, another peak. No, and if you plot the year, you find that these peaks are happening during a certain season. Then he said, then you rather focus here because the attention is higher here. Meaning, he found that that was the time also when there was maximum joy. If you, he looked at them he, during that one week of wedding, ah, they were so happy laughing, they were just high five. They said, ah, you're from Nazareth. Uh, for us, we've come from Jericho. So you, you see, there was so much joy sharing and they stayed long for one week. Then he said, oh, this is what they like doing most. Then let me use this to speak to their hearts. Did you understand that now? Oh, yes. He found that it was the most joyous time. And the joy, look, other than the other events where the joy is one day and people tomorrow are packing and going. The joy was stretched. Seven days. Today what are we eating? He told us today he's slaughtering a lot of chicken because yesterday we ate lamb. And then tomorrow, what are we eating? Tomorrow, he said, he's preparing goat meat, special barbecue marinated. So they were eating and feasting, a wedding feast, banquet, for seven days, and tomorrow, different clothes. Again, everybody's ready by 6 p.m., there is a ceremony happening. And the wine poop is being champagne. Champagne is being popped up, wine, whatever. Right? Ceremonies. And so you saw they were happiest then. Then he said, that joy they so love, stretched and extended for that long, is what I want to use to speak to them and say, look, the kingdom of heaven is like that joy you love so much, but eternally. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh yes, that wedding you like enjoying so much, but eternally. It's not just seven days forever. If I say so, I know I will attract them to the kingdom of God. Do you understand how just like we are? Because now through that, it's a bet to attract us to like now the kingdom. 
Because he said it's like the joy when we love the wedding banquet. We wear new clothes tomorrow. It's a ceremony. In other words, he was implying that the kingdom of God is going to be an unending celebration. Wow. Then I must never miss the kingdom of God. It's going to be a non-stop celebration. So there was maximum celebration and joy. So in other words, the Lord was saying that the kingdom of heaven is like that celebration you love so much until you stretch it for seven days, but eternally. So if you come in, can you imagine that joy you like? It will be non-ending. So I will attract them to me. The other thing is this. When people went to wedding banquets, wedding feasts, wedding celebrations, that place, at that place, people were told, that's why you see they came from Nazareth, from Jericho, from wherever, Jerusalem, they walked. They went there. At that place, they said, you just come with an empty stomach and a wide smile <laughs> on your face. That's what they say, right? Just come with a wide smile on your face and an empty stomach. So, it was known that when you were invited to a wedding feast, once you received the card, you just make sure that day from morning you don't touch nothing. You are just, in fact, you're mostly drinking fluids you want to clear up, right? Yes. <laughs> Did you understand how the Lord was speaking to these people? And so he knew that if you were to have a gauge to test the hungriness of people and put it at the gate when people are entering, test the hungriness, wow, 95%. Hungriness, you'd find big figures of hungriness. Everybody has come hungry. So people came hungry to the wedding feast because in the wedding feast there is a what? A feast. There is a feast of good food. So the Lord used that. He watched very carefully what the Jewish people did. Then he said, oh, now let me explain to them and use that to reach them, right? Let me tell them that the kingdom of heaven is also like that. Such that for those who have been very God hungry. Hallelujah. Somebody remembers. Somebody remembers Enoch. Enoch walked with God. And on a daily basis, he was hungrier for God. Until God said, enough is enough. I take you with me. Did you understand? That's what the Lord was using. He was saying, that I am noted that they come very hungry, and when they come there, they normally feast and they are satisfied. So let me tell them that the kingdom of heaven is like that. For those who can't get enough of God on the earth here, sitting here hungry for God, hungry for God all of the time, they are young, they are what? They are single, they are eunuchs, they are what? Just hungry for God here, they are married with their families, hungry for God left and right. Let me tell them that on that day there will be the feasting of the soul. You will have enough and feast on God. You will see Him seated right there with you. Your souls will be satisfied. Did you understand? That is what the Lord was intending. <laughs> That's what He intended. So did you understand now? So He was using this, the wedding feasts, the life, the events around the Jewish life, their cultural lives, to be able to preach them. That's what I meant. By he bowed down the heavens to reach them. Because he looked and said, okay, they like that. Let me tell them it is like that kind of joy, but eternal. 
It is that type of feasting they eat. They normally eat until they just lay like this on the mat. And when they woke up, take a drink, and say, what are you drinking? This is juice. Which one is this? Uh, uh, may I just want apple? Which you see, whatever. So you saw them doing those things. Then he said, that is how the kingdom of heaven will be. Your hungry souls will now feast eternally. Every day will be a feast. Because God will be there. Seated right down the throne. And death is over. There will be no more separation from God. Oh yes. Because the wedding was the most joyous occasion in the Jewish life. Right? Because the wedding was the most joyous occasion in the Jewish life, the Lord then decided to use it to convey forth the message on the coming of the kingdom of God. Can I move on? The Lord essentially used the words wedding feast, stroke, wedding banquet, stroke, Royal feast struck royal banquet in order to bring the kingdom of God to this present church by telling them, are we together? That as it is joyous in their wedding feasts, so shall it be joy and to the partakers of the kingdom of God. The Lord was therefore implying that the coming of the Messiah at the rapture is meant to be a ceremonial event characterized by a joyous celebration. Are we together? Can you still narrow down on this same point? By using the words wedding banquet, the Lord therefore intended to speak to the present day church that as it is decorated at their wedding celebrations, so shall it be pomp and color at the glorious coming of the Messiah. Hallelujah, pomp and color. It will be celebration, pomp and color. Well decorated. And under that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout, a trumpet call, the shout of the archangel, pomp and color, victorious king. As they always felt victorious in the family when they had a wedding celebration, so did the Lord imply that at the coming of the Messiah, all will be victorious. For the partakers thereof. Yes. He's implying the partakers, right? Since the Jewish weddings required some very serious preparation. Do you see how he was talking to them? Since human weddings require some very serious preparations, Since church weddings require some very serious preparations. Whatever you write, right? Since the Jewish weddings require some very serious preparations, then the Lord used the phrase wedding banquet with the intention of conveying the message 
on the need to observe some serious preparation for the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the reign of God will require some very serious preparation. So do you see how he was using the wedding banquet, right? They normally prepare very well for a long time. He was using the same. He was saying they must prepare well, even for this coming kingdom. Adequate preparation. This need for preparedness in relation to a wedding banquet was the most appropriate way in which the Lord underscored the need for the church to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. This need for preparation, preparedness, that he was underscoring, he was relaying to them that they do for the wedding, right? Their weddings. Look at this now. Is the need for preparedness. He was bringing to them the need for preparedness for this coming of the Messiah. Look at that. Now look at this. This need of preparedness for the coming of the Messiah. The Lord underscored it in another parable. Where he also mentioned the wedding gown. Do you understand now? So this need for preparedness for the kingdom of God. The Lord underscored it using another parable at which he also mentioned the wedding banquet. But this time around also highlighted the need for a wedding gown. Do you understand now? He's trying to say that this thing is important, that need for preparedness. Because in another parable, Matthew 22, 1 to 14, in another parable where he mentions wedding banquet again, you hear him raising wedding gown. So this need for preparedness is key and central in any mention of wedding banquet. It was actually the underlying mission, in fact the sole mission for using wedding banquet. That he may capture their attention on what? Preparedness. That they may like it and prepare for it. Hallelujah. And because weddings are places at which there was non-stop feasting, then we can clearly see that the Lord used the reference to royal banquet, royal feast, wedding feast, to imply the fact that when the kingdom of God comes and God's rule is established, on that day also, the Lord will provide provision ad libitum unto his God-hungry people. Meaning, if you're so hungry for God, I just want God to touch me. I just want God to talk to me. I just want to feel God. I just want to hear God. I just, you know that type of people? He says, at that time, God will be right here seated with you. There will be feasting of our souls. Our souls will grow fat in the matters of God. The word will be revealed to us, if you love the word, even much more will be revealed to us in heaven now. Those mysteries of the word we didn't understand here. We'll now understand there. You understand what I'm saying? If you love the word that much, now you can imagine how much more you love it and be satisfied there. Hallelujah. So I told you, it's not a storybook. No, no, no. It's very deep. The feasting of the hungry, perishing souls. Hungry and starving. So, can we give those examples of feastings? The first one, A, Isaiah 55 verse 1. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Can I read it? In fact, you can take it one to two if you want. It says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money 
and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen. Listen to me. Eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. And so forth. That's one of them. The level of feasting that's coming up. The other one is Isaiah 25 verse 6. Can I read and see what it says? On this mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. And on and on. The feasting of, of the soul that will take place. Psalm 36 verse 8, right? Let's see what it says there. And it says, They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light they see light. Continue your love to those you know. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot... It goes on about the feast. Hallelujah. Another one is Revelation 22 verse 1. Another one is Psalm 46 verse 4. Another one is Psalm 65 verse 4. And another one is Psalm 63 verse 5. Can I bring this to you now? Look at what it says in Matthew 25 here. Again, still on wedding banquet. You see that? Verse 10. He says, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. So I've just refreshed that a little bit and the door was shut. So when he said wedding banquet in this parable, what was the message the Lord was actually dispensing was delivering to the church? Look now. When he came, found those who were ready, then he went and entered with them into the wedding banquet. Meaning, when he brought forth the words, wedding banquet, the Lord was principally referring to the kingdom of God. Now finally we have come to say it. It's because they went into the wedding banquet, went into the kingdom of God. So, wedding banquet here principally stood for the kingdom of God, right? Let me explain this. Now, now we have seen that the wedding banquet is the kingdom of God, right? But look at what he's saying. He's saying that out of that, now he had a certain intention, a particular specific intention. He purposed that when he says wedding banquet in reference to the kingdom of God, you and I would begin to develop the following portrait, the following painting, the following imagery, whichever way you want to put it. You develop the following understanding. Number one, a decorated tent. Wow, this deco, right? The picture in your mind, the painting in your mind, the image in your mind would present to you, wow, a decorated tent, right? With flowers in place. You see the way they have done these things, right? Nicely put, deco, internally decorated. There is normally a ceremonial tent for that wedding, right? There's a tent that is decorated. Everything, flowers have been put, jewels, what, lighting systems, different types, colorful, whatever. He wanted you to understand that, to have that in your mind. When he talks about wedding banquet in reference to the kingdom of God. So he wanted you, first of all, to get this. The decorated tent. Number two, he wanted you also to develop a picture of the tables have been dressed. Tables have been dressed and the white 
tablecloths have been applied across. They are glorious. They are white. You can see them from a point. The tables have been dressed. The tent is very nicely decorated. And the tables have been prepared. You understand? The tables have now been well dressed. Number three. He wanted you to develop a picture, the imagery of the food has been served. Those urns have now been served and the cover is covered. It is shiny. It's like a mirror, right? And under it there are candles burning, right? That is the picture the Lord wanted you to have when he mentioned the word wedding banquet, royal banquet, so that you would now realize that the tables are served, the table is dressed, served, the tents are decorated already. The decor is in place, but there is an empty seat and it's written reserved. So that when you realize that empty seat, it would stir you up to say, just a moment, I must sit there. Yes, because, oh yes, because it's mine. My name is written there. If I don't sit there, who will sit there? Everybody has their seat. Did you understand me? That's what the Lord wanted you to understand. And once you develop that understanding, then your focus will be on this. Once people are seated now, and then they say, so, so we are full now, we are full now. Uh, every seat is covered, it's covered now. Please, can you now close the gate? Uh, we are now full, please. Lord, Lord, please knock. No, 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 sorry, we are now full. All seats are occupied now. Uh, no, don't let anybody in now because all seats have been occupied now. Did you understand? That he wants you to develop that picture so that you can focus on that seat. Saying the following, that this vision the man of God gave here, the prophecy alert, May 4th, 2014, is saying that when you read this vision, then you understand the gravity and significance of what I've just described. Because in this vision, you hear the man of God also describing, look, the rapture takes place, the church is taken, then the man of God also describes the rolling on the dust on the soil and the crushing teeth to the extent that when he woke up, he checked his teeth on the mirror. He thought he had crushed them. It's the rolling and gnashing of teeth on the dust and weeping and wailing, and then he woke up. Meaning, are all the seats full now? Don't open at all because all seats are occupied now. All the guests we invited are now here. And then the door is closed. So then, the Lord wanted that when you develop that imagery of the wedding banquet, the royal feast, that now you would focus on that empty chair. And when you do so, you would ask yourself the following question. When the door will be closed, when the master will now say, the master of ceremonies will say, we are now full, we are now full house. All the invited guests have sat, have verified the IDs, they have sat, they are the right people. Please, can you now close the door? Don't allow anybody else to come in now. We just have enough for these people. So, when that door will be shut, on which side of the door will you be? That is the question the Lord wanted to bring to your hearts. Did you understand? On which side of the door will you be? Because he's saying the following, that uh, when that door is shut, that all the guests have entered. The Lord is using this phrase, wedding banquet, to challenge your hearts. To stir up your souls and to ask you, on which side of that door will you be? When that declaration, and the declaration is here, Matthew 25, look at this declaration at the end of verse 10. It says, and the door was shut. On which side of the door will you be? 
Because the worst thing that can happen, Lord, 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 please open for us. Meaning it's scary out there. You can almost tell the terror that's going on there, right? But the issue is, when that will be happening, I, I, I spoke it here. I say the great and the fearful separation will take place. I'm saying you can imagine you with your friend. Your friend is missing on the earth. And the door has been shut. So he wanted you to focus on that. So that the focus of the use of the phrase wedding banquet, wedding feast, royal banquet, royal feast, the focus, the center of it will now be that empty seat, will be the big question that that seat is trumpeting, shouting to the earth. Are you ready? Are you ready? The seat is there. Are you ready? Did you understand me? In a kingdom where there will be no more pain, no more thirst, no more hunger, no more sorrows, no more fearing al-Shabaab and what? You'll be in the safety of God himself. Did you understand that? All problems considered solved. And peace and bliss, the highest state of blessedness forever. Did you understand that? So the focus of that statement was this, Jack. He says here, in this way, the Lord intended that the church develop a perspective or an imagery or a portrait of the wedding feast, the royal feast in heaven. Under it is A, is ceremonial tent decorated. A, ceremonial tent decorated. B, tables are set, are set, current, are set. C, the meals are served in urns, plus candles burning under the urns, right? C, the seats are well-dressed, clothes dressed with bow tie. Ribbons have been tied on seats, beautiful ribbons, glorious, glossy. Drinks are served in jars. The glasses are clean and turned upside down on serviettes. <laughs> God is talking to you in your terms, right? <laughs> this is really condescendence unto his wisdom. Eh? <laughs> you say, now the glasses are clean. You people know these things. What they do normally when they bring glass to you, or bring you to that table, they take the glass. You, you know, you have just been given your seat, right? Then they take the glass, and the guy who has brought you there first normally takes that glass and check it like this. Check like this. Check like this. There is nothing, no dirt in that glass. And then he puts it there. And then he pours for you the drink. You see that? So these kind of events, he wanted them to picture prominently in your mind. Right? <laughs> As you are reading Wedding Feast. The glass is clean. Turned upside down on Sabbath. The napkins, the table napkins have been decorated like a crown placed there. And then he says, that card that's written reserved has already been placed there. As in this table is now reserved. You people, this table is now reserved. And you find him telling his fellow workers, they say, that table is already reserved for a party of five. Don't touch it now. He says, once you develop that picture, then your focus will be on the empty seat reserved. Because you know, reserved for you. That's yours now. And in the process, you do everything up and down, tooth and nail, by all means, to make sure that you observe those standards of God that will earn you entry into the kingdom. So, so I said, tent decorated. That's the portrait he wanted you to see in your mind, the picture, imagery. Tent decorated, 
The tables are set with tablecloths. The meals are served in urns. Candles are burning under. The seats are well decorated and dressed. And on the seats are written reserved at the back. Then the table has a card written reserved. And he said, when you will have that picture in your mind, when you read the word wedding banquet, you will also hear a certain trumpet. You will hear a certain shout. Announces a question answer. Are you ready? Look. But for you, are you ready? Look, it's for you. So you don't want to ever be on the other side. How are we together? Are you beginning to understand the seriousness of making sure you're just ready? Me, I want to be ready. Hallelujah. So he's, that's what he says. Are you ready? You hear that trumpet. So now look at this now. Because I still wanted to bring this part where you have your group and you are now rolling on the soil, gnashing your teeth and you are imagining where they are seated. Did you understand properly now? You are imagining where they are seated. Did you understand that? And you are imagining the conversation they are having. Oh, so Pedro didn't make it, eh? Oh, he didn't make it. Oh my, that guy didn't make it. Eh? Ah, ah, that guy scared me. When I saw him preparing, I was scared. Eh? So I'm saying, I'm just giving the example, a putative example, that you people will be there, drinks are being served, the worship has begun, the Lord is seated. And you are seated. And then, he's saying, that in that way, when the Lord used the words wedding banquet, when the bridesmaids have now sat, he said the following. In that way then, then the Lord was essentially using the words royal banquet, wedding banquet, wedding feast, to portray forth, to send forth the following message. That on that day, when the Lord takes the church, when the bridesmaids get seated onto their reserved seats, in that banquet. Then now the Lord is seated. The fruit of the cross is seated. Then the kingdom of God will now be complete. Because now we can shut the door now. Now just shut the door now. All seats are occupied now. And now you can shut the door. Now it's okay you can shut the door. Now all seats are occupied. All slots are now covered. And the kingdom of God now is complete. Because the church, the bridesmaids, are now seated at their place, the empty seats. The church, the fruit of the cross is now seated. And that would also mean that that is the day the kingdom of God will come to complete fruition. The fruitfulness, the fruit of the cross is seated there. In that way, wedding banquet it was intended to present the fact that on that day, as the church struck the bridesmaids, will take up their seats at the table, it will mark the completeness of the kingdom of God. As the church, who are the bridesmaids, will take up their reserved seats at the table in the kingdom of God, it will also mark the completeness of the kingdom of God. So when you hear wedding banquet, you know you talk about the completeness of the kingdom at that time. You are supposed to be sitting on the inside heaven now. It also refers to the fact that on that day, the kingdom of God will see the fruit of the cross seated at the table. 
and hence that day will bring the kingdom of God to fruition. Hallelujah. Thank you, precious people. I want to end here and ask that if there is anybody that feels he has been touched and that he would like to return to the Lord, to be ready for that rapture, repeat this prayer with me. Say, precious Jesus, I surrender my life to you right now and repent of all sin and recognize the powerful work that Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. And I ask you, Lord, to wash me with the powerful blood of Jesus. And set me free from sin. I receive you Jesus. Into my heart. As my Lord and Savior.
So he wanted to portray the character of the church that will enter into the eternal kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That's point number one. The Lord designed to use the word virgins in this parable to basically communicate the character of the bridesmaids that would enter into the wedding banquet, into the kingdom of God. Did you understand? Which means the quality of the church, the character of the church. Hallelujah. And now focus on me for a moment before we write again. So, when he mentioned now virgins, and he wants to portray the character of the church that would enter the kingdom of God. That's why he used the word virgins. But now look at this now. The other thing, to go now deeper into that character that the Lord wanted to portray when he used the word virgins, the Lord wanted the following. He wanted you to understand that that church that would enter the kingdom of God would have purity. 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 Like the purity of a virgin. Purity. That's what he wanted to bring forth. Meaning, the purity untouched, undefiled, unadulterated. Number two, he also wanted to portray forth the holiness of that church. Number three, the righteousness. Number four, the faithfulness of that church that is going to enter into the kingdom of God. These things are critical. These are the standards of God. The righteousness also. Unadulterated, undefiled, untouched. And then the fourth one I say, the faithfulness of that church. Unadulterated, undefiled, whatever. Number five now. Let's listen to this now. Now, in number five, this is what the Lord wanted to present. In number five, when you read Amplified, then you'll understand. Look at Amplified, what it says. Again, Matthew 25. Amplified says, from verse, uh, verse 10, right? But while they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came. Focus on me now. Look. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like ten virgins who did what? Went out. Went out to receive the, bride, the bridegroom. Ten virgins who did what? Did stay. Went out. Meaning, there was a movement, a shift. There was a shift of location or position. They moved from one position to the next position. And that position they moved to was a place where they could receive. It was a place for reception. Follow me carefully on this. They are here inside. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who went out to this place to receive the bridegroom, to wait for the bridegroom and receive him, to usher him in. Right? Are we together? Let me describe this to you. This is very key that I describe this. So listen to this. He's saying that, look, coming from inside, went out to a place, a particular location of reception. They realized that place was not for a place of reception, right? Here now, they're ready to receive, right? But we have just read in Amplified that, but while they, were, they had gone away to buy, meaning the foolish virgins left this place of reception and walked away from there. Did you understand me carefully, step by step? They were all together here, the place of reception, but the foolish virgins decided to walk away from here. 
to go and buy oil to the dealers, the sellers. So the only ones that remained, the only people that remained at the place of reception where the bridegroom was coming to were the wise virgins. That's the first thing you need to understand. Let's move on. Second. Once the wise virgins were left alone here, then you understand that we are actually, when you use the word virgins, and we are talking about the purity, the holiness, the righteousness, the faithfulness. When he mentions that regarding that church, then he's referring to the wise virgins only. Only. Because the foolish have moved away. Are we together there? The foolish virgins have already walked away. Now listen to this. So, he's essentially describing the church that is the wise virgins at the place of reception at the time of return. But listen to this now. He's also saying that therefore the fifth thing, the fifth character of the church that made him use the word virgins is the receptiveness of that church. Meaning, she was available at the place of reception to receive the Messiah. The other church was not available to receive. So for the Lord, for the Messiah, this church was now receptive to him. The other one, unreceptive. Did not wait for me. Was not there when I came. Are we together now? That's very mighty. At the place of reception. Came from inside to out at the place of receiving where he would come to. And now, the foolish ones have walked away. So we are only dealing with the wise virgins. So when we are referring to the character of the church by using the word virgins, the character of the church that enters, we are only essentially referring to the wise virgins. And therefore, because they were the ones available here when the Messiah came, so this receptiveness, they were there to receive him. That receptiveness of the fifth character refers only to the wise church, the wise virgins. Right? Can I continue here then? Now listen to this now. I'm going to describe to you this. I'm taking you back to the Jewish wedding again. Right? In the Jewish wedding, had a ceremony that took place. It was a daytime ceremony. A tent was decorated, what, everything. There is the wedding ceremony and all that. Right? After that, there is a wedding banquet. The wedding dinner, if you want. The wedding reception, if you want, other people say. Right? And that normally takes place in the evening. So people went to change clothes. The first ceremony took place already. Now in the evening, now comes the wedding feast, the wedding celebration, the wedding banquet. There is a way, there is a protocol procedure there. You know these things. That is not happening in the day. That happened in that ceremony, the banquet. But now listen to this now. In the Jewish ceremony, after that wedding that took place in the, the day, people went now, they changed, prepared different clothes for the evening dinner, the banquet now. So, the bridegroom always went away. And the bridegroom always came back in the evening. And the bridesmaids were the ones that were always assigned to go and wait for the bridegroom and when he's returning to usher him into what? The wedding banquet. Did you understand the picture now? You get it properly now. I want you to, that's important. So, that waiting was the following. It was required of the bridesmaids in those days that they each have a lamp because it was in the night. Right? 
But now, I want to bring you to life on this fact about the lamp, that the lamps were actually not really lamps. Because when I look at those lamps in Israel, I see that they are more similar. Of course, they have that oil also, and they have that wick. But I see that in that time, the lamps of that time were similar to the torches that those soldiers carried when they went to arrest Jesus. They were similar. So I could call them torches. Also because the lamps were meant to give light. Listen, the, bride, the bridegroom is coming. They, they, they now the virgins, the, the bridesmaids have to go. And sometimes in song. In song. To receive him and then to usher him, escort him, right? Escort him into, usher him into the wedding banquet. It was good reception and courtesy. You understand? And so the issue now becomes this. Each one of the bridesmaids that was awaiting the coming back, the return, coming back, the return of the bridegroom. <laughs> Hallelujah. They're coming back. Waiting for his return. They had to have torches. Those lamps that were like torches to give light because it was night. To give light. In fact, that is how you knew who the bridesmaids were. That's how you knew the virgins, who they were. The bridesmaids that were assigned to receive. You understand? But now the issue was this. There was a problem. That time the Jewish society ran into some problem. Because there were some outlaws. Some lawless people. Some thugs. Some bandits. In fact, in, 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 uh, in the Jewish translation, it becomes brigands. Brigands is the name. These were thugs that used to get crushed into parties. I guess we have them today also. When they hear there is a party, <laughs> they are called get, get crushers or party crushers. So they come. They used to come. Meaning they are not legit. They are illegitimate. They are not part of the entourage. So what they used to do is very simple. They used to mix with a group to try to enter. To crash in, into the mob. To enter. Hey, it is big. And so, they became a problem, a menace to the society. As it is, thugs, outlaws are a menace to every society. Focus on me on this one until I bring it to the end. So what happened was this. When they, these thugs were also known, the brigands, banditos. So, at night, when people are walking the roads at night, that is what you watched over. The banditos. You understand? The brigands. Because they appeared with knives, sometimes they knew that people were aware that they are there. So what they did was very simple. When people were walking, they also walked among them. And <laughs> they tried to blend in. <laughs> and then hear the conversation to know what treasures these people are carrying. <laughs> and take the bags. You understand? At night. So there was that one problem at night of the brigands. Number two, the other problem was this. That when the roads went through the forests, the brigands again appeared. So in the night they appear, they get crushed into parties to loot things and steal things. They eat there, do, you just 
come out with jewelry, whatever it is, you know. Now, also on the roads in the day when the road went through the forest and in the night. Also when the roads went up the mountains where isolated. So there were these brigands in society, right? So what happened is this. When the bridesmaids went out at night to wait with their lamps burning for the return. Return of the bridegroom to usher him, to bring him to the wedding banquet. There was always that fear that brigands will mix and try to enter with us. So that's why what happened was this. The criterion was this. They then saw that every person, every person who is carrying a burning torch, the only way they distinguish between the bona fide right virgins that went to receive the entourage, they became part of the entourage of the bridegroom. The only way they distinguished between them and the nun, the outlaws, is because these ones were carrying burning what? Lamps. To show the light, the way, to light up the way for the bridegroom as they sang the songs. So, but many times when they did that, they always, as they walked down with the bridegroom, or as they were waiting, they were always together. Like, because of brigands. Anybody that did not have a burning torch, a burning lamp, was a thug. <laughs> now you understood me. That's the message the Lord wanted to relay. That anybody else that does not have a burning lamp is a thug, is an outlaw, is not allowed in the entourage. So there comes the problem. Look at the church in this country. Look at the church globally without the burning lamp. So these are thugs. They are brigands. They are outlaws. On that day they are going to be declared outlaws. Because only by the burning lamp. Because the only difference between the foolish and the wise virgins is that the wise virgins have their lamps burning. And that, that, that's the only difference that now they enter. Everybody else, whether in the church or not, becomes a brigand. A thug. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is key it's important to underscore that so you may know for yourself why you need to keep your lamp burning yes why you need to tap this Holy Spirit and for you are blessed the cloud is here the oil is flowing hallelujah so right now the glory is here the portals of heaven are open and so there is a flow of the anointing of the Lord to continue refueling the midnight lamp in the church. First of all, it begins with the awareness of that. And the pursuit of it. You see that? So did you understand now? The dangers. If you don't have a burning lamp, you know who you are. And you just know what you are doing here. You just want to do some robbery. You are a thug. Eh? So the Lord was essentially saying that in the congregation of the church at this hour, when he talked about the five wise and five foolish virgins, he was essentially saying that there will be two congregations in one church. One congregation will be the faithful church that has the character that is equivalent to virgins. I talked about purity, holiness, righteousness, 
faithfulness, receptiveness. And the other church will be full, will be essentially the brigands. Those who have get crushed. They are party goers that have gone to crush the party to eat there. They are outlaws. He was talking about two congregations. And it's amazing as he discusses that. Talking about those who enter and those who will not enter. He was giving a prophecy that inside the church will be two congregations. One will not belong to him. One will belong to him. When I talked about the judgment, the apostasy, I brought to you the gravity of apostasy that attracts that judgment of God. And I said, the apostates in the church are essentially the clandestine, the undercover atheists in the church. Atheists. People who don't believe in God inside the church. They are undercover. <laughs> they are inside the church. But they are atheists. They don't believe in Jesus. And then, they're sitting with you, chair to chair. They're worshipping with you. And they don't believe in Jesus. Huh? It's an unbelievable situation, right? Can we move on now? He says, The word virgins therefore indicated the following about that church that enters. Number A, under it now, purity. And I said, unadulterated undefiled, untouched purity. Number two, I said holiness. Again, undefiled, unadulterated, untouched if you want, right? Number C, righteousness. Number D, faithfulness of that church. E, patience of that church. Patience. Huh? F, Endurance of the church. How the church can endure. G. Receptiveness of that church. Which I've just described, but I need to talk about it now. Receptiveness. Can I talk about it? So you see, they have their candles, their lamps. They are able to receive the bridegroom because the candles are burning. They can show the light, the way now, and take him in, right? But listen to this now. If you're talking about receptiveness, it is not a late-term event. It's not an event happening late term. Why? Because if you look at what makes the wise virgins receptive, totally receptive, absolutely receptive to the Lord when He comes, it is the jar of oil. But that jar of oil is not a late term event. It is something right from beginning when they received the Lord, they received also. They carried and went out with so, the receptiveness of those wise virgins, that wise church, is not a late-term event. It is something that began right from when they received the Lord. So, all along their lives, they have been receptive to Jesus. They are these people that the Lord Jesus can just come and talk to any time. He is willing to hear. He is willing to go. He is willing to serve. They are just receptive to the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to get deeper. Talking about the virgins. Because when the Lord used virgins, He afforded us an opportunity, a very unequal opportunity, a rare opportunity to look deep into the character, the life of that church that enters. And yet we know that that church right now is still on the earth here. Has not yet entered. 
a real opportunities here for us to look deep into the character of the church that in the parable enters. So if we have this opportunity and we look deep and see the characters, we can now march it and say, do I be fitted? Then I can make the necessary adjustments to make sure that we perfectly aligned to this requirement. Amen. Hallelujah. When you use the word virgin, it's very powerful. Now, let's go deeper now. Receptiveness, it is the jar of all that gives them capacity to be receptive. Meaning, the human being by his own nature has no capacity to receive Jesus. To be receptive to Jesus. To be receptive to the matters of God. Hallelujah. In their own uh, self. Alone as they are. So they need that extraneous help. Outside help. Can I move on now? So if you look at the character of the church that goes virgins, wise virgins, now we have seen the ones who remain at reception, receptive place, reception place. Now look at this. If you look at that word wise, you just take a book dictionary and you open like this, look for the word wise. These are the things you pull out. Look. That you see the following words. You see, that those virgins that entered were wise. And then when you go deep to answer, but what does it mean to be wise? It means, you say, they were shrewd. So the, one of the first words that comes out, shrewd, as their quality. Because now we are looking through a window, we want to know who are these people. Because this prophecy is not yet fulfilled. This church is still here on the earth. Are we that church? When you look at the word wise, the next thing you get is that she was cunning. But the third one you get, she was attentive. But those things are even in Amplified. Because Amplified says attentive, active, thoughtful, foresighted. So you can get other words. For example, if you take what Amplified calls prudent and put in the dictionary book, dictionary open and check, it will give you more understanding of the character of that church. Are we together? Can I move now? The five wise virgins can therefore be categorized or classified in character as being A. Shrewd B. Cunning C. Attentive D. Prudent Whatever. There's a whole list you can put there as you want. I'm just giving a few examples but I'll walk with you in front here. Right? Can we move forward now? So now we have been afforded a window to go and see what they look like. Because that prophecy is not yet fulfilled. That church is still here. So we want to find out, is this that church? And if she's not, she has to adjust quickly. Because everything has invested therein, inside this one. Right? The presence of the five wise and foolish virgins was a profound prophecy that Jesus was giving regarding the days towards the coming of the kingdom of God. That there would be Two types of congregations. Five wise, five foolish. That was a prophecy essentially saying there would be two types of congregations. And then under that, A, the righteous congregation. B, the unrighteous congregation. There will be two types of congregation in church. I just wanted to catch that under the virgins. You see that? Because five wise, five foolish, meaning two congregations will coexist. In other words, you can say there would be an admixture, admixture of two congregations. A, righteous congregation. B, unrighteous congregation. You understand? Now we are going deeper. When Jesus said virgins, what did he say to the church, right? Now we are seeing that the wise virgins, they are the only ones that represent the followers of Jesus. Who did the following? The followers of Jesus who would be ready with a sufficient measure of the oil 
of good works at the time of his return. You remember I mentioned those characters. Shrewd, cunning, attentive, prudent, clever, intelligent. Whatever it is, we are going to look at a few, right? I'm deriving this whole thing. Why? Because we have seen that that's a window through which we can now look and say, Oh, so this is how they look like. Since the prophecy is not yet fulfilled, we are the ones. Let us be them, right? Or let, we are the ones. Let us adapt to these things to us, right? Let's begin. The wise virgins therefore indicated, number one, when he used the word wise virgins, he indicated the following. Now the word is shrewd. Under shrewd, now I'm saying, nobody else will ever come and teach this church the word because time is even over. For that matter, I am responsible to their eternity. So, I don't want to just go there and be rhetorical, just talking around and pocketing and whatever. I want to prepare for their sermon very deep. So I took the word shrewd, I went to the dictionary. What does it mean? So I want to bring it to the church, meaning break it digestible portions, right? Synthesizable, right? And so number one under shrewd becomes having or showing sharp powers of judgment. Considering the wisdom you are teaching that church to become, having or showing sharp powers of judgment. That's very mighty. At this time when discernment is tricky. If they can have that, that's very mighty. Do you have that? Number two, astute. Number three, intelligent. Number four, sagacious. Sages, you know who a sage is, right? Yeah, the sage is a prophet. Sagacious, which means their behavior is kind of foresighted. Just like a prophet would be. They're thinking ahead. You understand? Each one of these, like intelligent, if I were you, I would go to the dictionary again. What is intelligent? I would go there. And so this becomes a very powerful, endless sermon. Because if he says, well, sagacious, astute, I would go and find out what is astute. So that now I really break it down to the church to the finest level, we'll enter the kingdom now. Did you understand the whole idea here? Hmm? And he says, sagacious, clever, sharp-witted, Sharp-witted is the word. Which means these are people who go deep to the core of issues. They want to find out the truth. You understand? They are not superficial people. The sharp-witted. Perceptive. Number eight there says, Having the ability to understand things and make good judgment. But, but that's key, right? Having the ability to understand what? Things. Huh? In other words, teachable people. You see that? Having the ability to understand things. You understand? Yes, we move on now. Mentally sharp. And under that still, Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. And he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So he's sending you with shrewdness. This is incredible. When I read this, I laughed off, you know. I laughed alone. Because you say, I'm sending you out there like sheep among wolves. But you need to have the shrewdness of snakes. Unbelievable, right? And later when we come to cunning, you say, the quality used by the shrewd people. <laughs> so those things puzzled me quite a bit, right? <laughs> but Jesus says it here, that go out and be shrewd. The wise virgins were shrewd. That's just part of wisdom, being wise. There are people you call street smart. Are you understanding that? Because they say, I'm sending you into a bad place. 
like sheep among wolves. But please, I'm asking you to be shrewd. He's saying, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves that eat sheep. Did you understand properly now? Wolves that eat sheep. I want you to be shrewd. Eh? It means being artful. We are still under shrewd. Skillful, in other words. Artful is skillful. Another point is being quick. You understand? Another point, having a clever awareness of your environment. A clever awareness of your environment. Or on, on practical matters also, if you want. Keen, being keen. Okay, can we move to another quality of the wise virgins? Cunning. Skill employed in shrewdness. Eh? Or skill employed by the shrewd. If someone is shrewd, if you check them properly, you must see that they are cunning. <laughs> you say adeptness, adept. Adeptness in performance. Proficiency in performance. Some efficient ways of handling issues. Eh? Eh? So, so this kind of people is what the church is saying the wise virgins were. Did you understand we are defining the church that enters? I'm sending you as sheep among wolves that eat sheep. Huh? <laughs> and I'm asking you to go ahead and be shrewd. And at the, on top of that, you be cunning. Let the cunning be the tool you are using in your shrewdness. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, artfully subtle, skillfully subtle means hidden. At the right opportunity, you give the gospel. <laughs> you understand? When the opportunity avails, you unleash the gospel, right? And you just harvest the soul and put it in the bag, right? For Jesus. <laughs> and he says, performing with ingenuity. Meaning being a genius in doing your performance. Huh? Performing with ingenuity. Number five, under cunning is expert. Expert. So, if it is a skill used by the shrewd, then they are expert at their trade. Right? Oh yes, that's always very important. Or you might be in a matatu and things are very hostile. Nobody can pick the gospel. The way you look, these people look very hostile people. In Nairobi it is, right? Very hostile. So you have to be careful when to say the gospel. So what you do, sometimes you don't open your mouth. And then, when you're standing up, you take a tract, handbill, and you live on your seat. And you step out. You know the next person will always take it and read it. You were targeting this person. And he reads this, wow, he might call. Yeah, then he called, oh yes, actually I'm a pastor there. You see that? But you have to be careful to know when to do it. Otherwise, you cannot even go to the bar where people are drunk and start talking about Jesus. So sometimes it can be really very rough, right? Someone can stand up and hammer your blow, right? In a bar. You see that? Hallelujah. <laughs> no, you're laughing. <laughs> can we move on now? I'm looking at another character because we've seen shrewd, the wise virgins. Now we have this wonderful window looking at the lives they led so we can be able to understand if, if the church we are conforms to that. So we saw shrewd and then we saw cunning and now... I'm looking at another character called prudent. Prudent. He says, under prudent, he says, wise. Number two, well judged. Wow. That means your judgment is right. You thought about it again, you thought about it, and then you judged. You say, I will go this way. I will do this, right? 
Number two is well judged. Number three is sensitive. Which means those wise virgins were quite sensitive to the matters of God, right? And then number four, again, sagacious. Number five, advisable. Meaning teachable. They were available to the Holy Spirit's counsel. Number six, he says shrewd. Number seven, he says thrifty. Thrifty is to be swift. Someone once received the Lord, you met in the Matatu, and she says, I live in this, uh, rather I'm in this office, this way, the office, my office, whatever, before the door is closed. Because it might change their mind. Say, please, please read the following. Can you focus on the book of John and also Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 and then the coming of the Messiah. That is now 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16, 17. And then when you do that, please remember that these are, these, these are the chronological steps. Number one, repentance. You repent from all sin and it can be a personal repentance. You don't need anybody. Number two, and then you confess now. And then number three, then you ask the Lord. Just ask Him. You don't need anybody. Ask Him to give you the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and reveal Himself to you. Number five, this one, and this is my number. I will be free today at lunch or between this time and this, please if you are available, call me. I'll be able to pass by. You got a small window, you squeezed it in. <laughs> and then she, she reaches home. I can't believe she sent me already the email. Yes, and then, oh, he sent me. And then, ah, already the person is beginning to thank Christ. Before they change their mind. Because the world is always causing them to do that, right? Thrifty. And then he said responsible. <laughs> Number nine, realistic. They are not living in some kind of dream, right? Number ten, reasonable. Number eleven, thoughtful. Number twelve, rational. Number that you may have to think about that number twelve, because sometimes to follow Jesus you have to be rational in your ways, right? But rational meaning you have to weigh the options, right, and make a judgment. And then number thirteen, pragmatic. Fourteen, sober. Fifteen, accountable. Sixteen, answerable. Do you see now, we're beginning to get a little glimpse into the life that the wise virgins lived that in that parable allowed them to enter. And that prophecy is not yet fulfilled. That church is still on the earth. We want to be this church by all means, right? Can I go to astute? The next one is astute. Astute means acute. Astute. Acute. Bright. Smart. Intuitive. Number five is insightful. They look deep inside, right? Number six is incisive. Number seven is wise. Can I move on now? Attentive. I said you can have as many as 200 qualities that define them, but I'll take only five. So let us go to another one called attentive, right? Attentive also. We have just talked about shrewd, cunning. We have gone to prudent. Astute, and now we are attentive, number five, right? Attentive, he says, paying close attention to something. Did you understand now why the wise virgins entered? Paying close attention to something. Be observant. Heedful, heedful. They can listen. They are able to obey. Then he says, vigilant. He says, alert. Thoughtful. Intent. Intense. Intent, which means they are really on that objective. And then intense, they pursue it with all vigor and zeal. Committed, number 10, is watchful. Hallelujah. The next quality is forethought. Because in Amplified, he said having forethought. Under brackets, when he was defining them, he said having forethought. Other than prudent, he also said having forethought. And then he used the word active also. But let's look at forethought, right? Number one, anticipating. 
Number two, planning. Number one, anticipating. Number two, planning. Number three, precaution. Precautionary. Number four, care. Number five, foresight. Number six, expectancy. Expectant. Number seven, excitement. Number eight, anticipation is the act of preparing for something that is about to happen. Anticipation, number eight says, anticipation is the act of preparing for something that is about to happen. I'm just saying, look, I'm just talking about taking any word that has been used to define that quality of wise and go to dictionary and pull out the English meaning. Then you end up with these words that really point about waiting for the coming of the Messiah. <laughs> Very mighty here, right? Yes, hallelujah. Can we finish this? He says, number nine, visualization of future event. That's called foresight. Visualization of future event. The other one is looking forward to something. The other one means forestalling an event. When he says forestalling an event, meaning there is a tragedy on the way, I have to forestall it, right? You see something coming, so you go ahead of it. You have to take care of that situation. Can I move on now to the most important point? Hallelujah. Amen. So he says very clearly here, these special qualities that Jesus presented when he used the words wise virgins essentially demonstrate to us a critical window through which we can examine the unique lives that these heavenly bridesmaids lived in that parable. Meaning, the unique life that the heavenly church of this day should be living. Because that prophecy is not yet fulfilled. Right? So can we see that window now? What it says? After looking at those qualities? Everybody focus on me now. So those qualities I, I walked you through. Shrewdness, Cunning, I talked about uh, prudence, attentive and astute and all for thought. Now, those qualities, when you look at them very carefully, you find that they are personal qualities. They are not group qualities. Did you understand the message the Lord was bringing to you? Those are personal. Personal qualities. They are not group qualities. Meaning, they are qualities that every individual has to sharpen in them and execute. It's not dependent on group. Do you understand now what the Lord is trying to bring forward here? Oh, yes. And later on, can I just read it to you? Write it, right? Because of time. He says, these qualities are principally personal traits. Personal qualities, okay? They are basically personal character traits, if you want. You know? Are we ready? And because these qualities are personal characteristics or traits, it therefore implies that the wise virgins highly valued their self-interest above group solidarity. They highly valued their personal interest over and above group solidarity. Did you understand that? Which means when it comes to the matter of preparing the way of the Lord, they said, nope. You understand? Not at all. I shall pursue my eternity with God. Alone. But, so you can imagine now, there were five in that group. 
But each one of them was very actively preparing in their very unique lives and qualities. Together. But alone. They said, these qualities given, shrewdness, cunning, all these, these are personal qualities. They are not group or solidarity with that together. It is group solidarity that has sunk today's church. No. You just prepare on your own. That's what the Lord is trying to say here. Can I read it then? That means that Jesus employed the reference to wise virgins in order to indicate that preparedness and entry into the kingdom of God must be a personal effort. You cannot depend on somebody. Ah, You know the way we fast together. Whatever. <laughs> Stay out of those things. You prepare on your own. And enter the kingdom of God before the door shuts. It is not group solidarity. If you see, ah, me, I feel like I need to fast. Just go into fasting. Before the door closes. Because then when we start the general fasting, and the kind of refining will be even more violent, right? Can we move on now? Because they want to prepare together. They want to check how the pastor is doing and try to live like him. As if they will stand before the Lord and say, Look, but my pastor used to do this. He didn't tell us to do otherwise. Then you have lost it. Because you will not have that as your defense, right? Or your plea. The Lord used the symbolism of the wise virgins in order to underscore the praise, or their praise, if you want. Of individual effort in the heavenly church. And that church is still on the earth. Meaning, when you go back to your house from today, start taking account of you. What do I have in this house that is not right? What is it in my life that is not consistent? What is it in my salvation that is what? What is it in my family that is what? So you just take responsibility and start working on you. No, don't, don't do group thing here. You prepare you. Hallelujah. And so I want to move to something very important. Another chapter. Matthew chapter 25 verse 13. Matthew 25 13. Are we ready again? That's another topic. Now we are not even halfway. And already you have such a bulk and a series, a treasury of summons, right? On the central theme, the midnight hour. Let me read that Matthew chapter, chapter 25 verse 13, which is the main topic right now. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And here he says, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And that's now New American Standard. Uh, then Amplify says, watch therefore, give strict attention, and be cautious and active for you do not know, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. King James says, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. He's saying that this is the parable, right? The Lord came and gave this parable to the church. Matthew 25 verses 1 to 13. This is the parable. And in the parable, if you go back again to revisit, you see that he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God will be like this. There will be ten virgins stepping out, five of them wise, five foolish, oil, no oil, tired waiting, resting, 
sleeping, nodding, everything. Down here, they shout, waking up. Waking up, trim lamps, prepare them, light them, add oil. Others, please help me. No, go to those who sell. Don't do that here. And then going down there, Lord, Lord, the Lord comes, they enter. Lord, Lord, please, I want to enter. Say, no, I rebuke you. The Lord rebukes them, so you cannot enter. You see the narrative of the parable, right? Are we together? But as he finishes that parable, after giving that description of how it will be then, then at the end you hear him say, but because of their foregoing, therefore you, for you, you just keep watch. Because of these things that will happen. For you, you just keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. That's why I said, out of this entire parable, now this becomes the most important message. This one here. Matthew 25, 13. In fact, if you look at the entire purpose where the Lord Jesus churned forth, propelled forth this parable to the church, is because of 13. That it may serve as a warning. That the church may not go through all that negative. Okay, what do I mean by this? This is the parable. The wise and the foolish. And he says, the wise get to enter. So I know very well that if you have two students or pupils in your class, and one of them is a very sharp student, who is going to make it, right? Passing exams well. And the other one is not. You always have to focus on the one that is not. You understand? And that's why the entire parable, if you understand the paradigm, how it was set up, it was set up to focus the church on the one that did not make it. And if you focus on that, then you'll be able to make it. That's why he's saying that out of this description of the tempest that will happen at the end, the two lamps burning, buying oil, coming back, knocking and whatever, falling asleep and all that. Say, Therefore, for you, you keep watch. You just be watchful. For you know not the day or the hour. What was the message when the Lord says now that this 13 is the key, the center of the message of today's parable rather. So let me walk you through this now. Listen very carefully. The reason Matthew 25, 13 becomes the centerpiece of this entire conversation here is because if you look very carefully at Matthew 25, 13, as he's saying, out of their foregoing, you just keep watch. You just be careful. You be cautious. You be alert. Don't be like others. So, what he's trying to bring forth is the following. Matthew 25, 13 essentially says that with all the tempest that will take place, with all the ungodliness, that will consume the time. With all the unrighteousness. With all the lack of the fear of God. That will be. Matthew 25 raises the, four, the fact that the environment has become hostile. So the first thing. Also without the violence or whatever. Without the violence or whatever, or the terrorism or name it, or the anti-Christianity or name it, that is in the Bible actually, without this fulfillment going on right now, that prepares the earth for the worst days. Without that, the general legislative environment also is against righteousness. Yeah. So, 
there is hostility for those that choose to walk in righteousness at this hour. Even in your own families. Sometimes your husband can turn against you. Or your children, or whichever, or your workmates. The Lord seems to have seen that as he was giving us Matthew 25.13. So, Matthew 25.13 now, before I go into the write-up, focus on what I'm going to say now, before we write, this is all there, is this. 25.13 seems to have foreseen the difficult times that were going to befall the earth and the church and those pursuing righteousness. And it seems as if those who are righteous, the wicked would trample on their heads and go unchallenged. Nobody would rebuke them, unrebuked. So, Matthew 25, 13 is such a powerful scripture. The center of this parable. Why? Because it seems to say that I know what you're suffering. I know what you've gone through. I know that in that workplace you have suffered. Sometimes you are fasting and they are doing cocktails, dinners. Some directors from Singapore are there, have just arrived and you are the key person hosting them. You are running a workshop and there is cocktails and whatever. Women are walking nude around there. So the, the environment is hostile. Wine and beer is being served. All these things are happening. And the Lord is saying, and you cannot raise a voice. If you try to raise a voice, it's as if the entire management turn against you. Say, no, 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 no. This bank or this institution, this department has run the way it should run. Cannot bring your salvation here or religion here. Whatever it is, they will say. And so the Lord now uses Matthew 13 as a warning. He does this. He raises Matthew 13 and says, Therefore, for you, you, you just keep watch. Don't worry about those things. Because you don't know the day or the hour when your Lord comes. On which side of that door will you be? Whichever way. If you feel in your life that your salvation has not presented the hallmark the feature, the characteristic, the character of the church that will enter into the eternal kingdom of God. Then the Lord is saying, this is the hour at which we need to change conformity and become more heavenly. And if that is you, even at home, and you have never received the Lord before, and now you feel like this word has touched you, you want now to obey Obey the call to salvation. Repeat this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I have heard your word, your holy word. And Lord, I know that your word is established in heaven. And I ask you, my Father, my everlasting Father, to establish your word in my life. The word of salvation. I repent of all sins. And receive you in my life. Precious Jesus. Please transform me. And withdraw me 
from focusing on the life in the world. On this earthly living. And change me. And redirect me. To be more heavenly focused. That I may enter heaven. The kingdom of God. In the mighty name of Jesus. I am born again. In this broadcast. This is not some kind of gimmick or trick. This is now the holy word. It's about salvation. The salvation of the cross. And it's not about money. This is about preparing you. That after living this short life on this earth, you can have eternal peace with God. Make sure you're baptized and you find a Bible teaching church. Not a church where the pastor is comical, comedian, making you laugh. I am talking about a church where the pastor is teaching salvation. Salvation of the cross. Salvation of the blood. The old rugged cross, the abandoned cross, the cross at Golgotha. May the Lord bless you. Prepare the way. The Messiah is coming. Shalom. Todaraba. Todalahem. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.